Welcome to the Computational Antitrust Podcast. My name is Thibaut Schrepel. I am a faculty affiliate at Stanford University Codex Center, an associate professor of law at the VU Amsterdam, and the creator of the Computational Antitrust Project, which explores how legal informatics can benefit antitrust law. The project brings together over 65 competition agencies, including the French, and 35 academics in the advisory board. Each month or so, we publish an academic article on the subject of computational antitrust. You may find all of these publications at computationalantitrust.com. Today, I am thrilled to be receiving Jan Gutmann, the head of the Digital Economy Unit at the French Competition Agency, Adrien Frumance, a case handler at the same agency, knowing that together with Kami Okterp, they wrote a paper for us entitled Deploying Network Analysis in Antitrust Law. So to both of you, welcome. And let me start with the obvious. None of you two are lawyers. So how do engineers and data scientists such as yourself end up working at the French competition agency, or I guess in a competition agency? So please, the floor is yours. So thanks, Thibault, for inviting us in your podcast. So for myself, I'm a microeconomist by formation. So you could say that I was destined to work in the regulatory field. And in fact, I started my career at the French telecom regulator, RCEPT. So I worked there for about six years. And after a while, I wanted to see something else than ex-ante regulation. So I joined the French competition agency to experience ex-post regulation. Totally logical that I end up at the authority. All right. And so if I may ask, why not working for the private sector? Was it a desire to contribute and help to the common good? Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. okay. And also, it's very, uh, you touch a lot of subject when you work for the public administration, whereas yeah. when you're working for the private, you only work on a tiny field regarding your company. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Adrien. Yes, yeah, so first of all, uh, we would like to thank you, Thibault, and your team for inviting us uh, at this podcast. So um, to answer to your question, uh, I knew about the missions and the qualities of the French Competition Authority uh, as I have studied some economy and econometrics in my academic background. Thus, when, when I saw the job offer, uh, as I was specializing in fraud detection in my previous experience at the Ministry of Interior in France, I felt that the opportunity to be a data scientist uh, within the digital economy unit led by Yen uh, was a very interesting challenge. So let me, let me ask you, how did you see this announcement? Was it that a friend sent it to you or was it an algorithm that actually <laughs> showed you that on the social network? It was completely an algorithm from LinkedIn. Uh, okay. they, they target extremely well because okay. it was exactly uh, what I was looking for uh, for my new challenge. All right. Yeah. Sometimes LinkedIn would say, imagine yourself working there, right? And they put your name next to the logo. And it's, it's very exactly effective. this one. Very personalized. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to. Yeah. Ask. If I may, uh, my own uh, job offer, I saw it in uh, on Twitter when I was on vacation in New Zealand, for example. So very all right. funny. <laughs> so we're all here because of, or thanks to algorithms, uh, something we will discuss. Uh, and so without further ado, can you please summarize the main findings of your paper in, in just two minutes? Uh, I suggest we start with you, Adrien, with a yes. methodological contribution and then move on to Jan for the substantial contribution. Yes, so um, the main methodological contribution 
is firstly the description step by step and the construction of a complete complex network graph based on all the publication of the French competition authority since 2009. So by publication, we mean decision, opinions, and interim measures. And secondly, the development of an open source interactive tool, which is already available. You can find all the links inside the article, as well as the source code, which is publicly available on the French competition authority GitHub. And those main contrib contribution can be used to explore the French Competition Authority publication. So to explain very shortly, in this complex network graph, the publication are represented as nodes and the relationship between the publication, so the, cita the citation, they are represented as edges. So in our complex network, publication are arranged accordingly to their similarities So this is more than a citation tree. That means that even publications that do not sit each other can be strongly connected and very closely positioned inside the, the graph. So that's the main contribution, methodological contribution. Thank yeah, thanks a lot. And as you mentioned, indeed, all the links are included in your article and pretty much every, everything is actually open access. We will come back to that toward the very end. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's very nice and you are also willing to help people willing to explore and engage with those people. But we will keep that for later. Uh, but Jan, uh, please. Yeah, um, what describe Adrian and what is very innovative with our method and think it's a key contribution to the antitrust computational field is that we didn't choose any labeling or training set. We only use the raw material. And so it's a very efficient method in terms of human labor. You could say it's the grail of data scientists. And yet we obtain very impactful results that I think we'll be discussing just after. Yeah, can you can you briefly explain why not having labels is a nice feature here and not a bug? Oh, because usually labels they are put by human, and so there's a subjective choice when you put uh, a label and not another. Uh, for example, sectors on the uh, website of the authority for each publication, they're human labels. We choose which label we want to put on uh, some decision. And so sometimes there's error. And it's also very uh, time consuming to do that if you want to do it all at once for a large uh, data set. This way, we eliminate all these hurdles and yet it's very efficient and we arrive to very uh, great results. Yeah, you, you know, I was, we've, he we've heard many times that it's easy to lie about statistics and, and that, you know, it's not because it's proven by statistics that it is true. Although to some degree, as you are explaining here, you work with the raw data. Uh, but so something I read recently was that you can sure lie with statistics, but it's even easier to lie without statistics, right? <laughs> uh, and so I suppose you will be on the other end of the spectrum here where you work with the raw data. We will discuss all the limitations that you that you explain in detail in the paper. Uh, but indeed, at least for the results that you are providing us with, they're hard to, to argue against, right, in a sense. So that's the very nice feature of your work. Um, let, let, let me dive into one of the limitations, which, which I think is not a real one. Uh, you assume that the most 
cited decisions are the most important. Exactly. Now, this is true most of the time, but not always. And we discussed that. Um, one decision can indeed set a principle and you could have a, a decision published after the first that will restate the principle of the first and will thus get the citations, right? But still, important cases, at least in the eyes of the agency, tend to be reused by the agency. And so it seems that you are providing, especially here, the practicing lawyers with something very helpful. Um, and so I'm, I'm asking you here if you could give us an overview of the results, meaning the most important decisions published by the French Competition Agency, and maybe take a step back and give us a sense of the types of decision that is, the sectors that are concerned, the type of practices, knowing once again, as, as you just said, that you are working here with the raw data and not with your own labels. Yeah, uh, thank you, Thibault. Uh, first, I must say that a large part of this work was done by Camille Hogtep, our third co-author, but sadly, she wasn't able to be with us today. And also, you're right when you say that important is a relative concept. What is important for someone isn't necessarily important for someone else. And in our case, like you said, we define important as the most quoted. And it has a certain logic because you can agree that it's at least important for case handlers at the authority because we quote it often. And so um, we took our data and we look at the top 10 most quoted uh, publication by the authority. And um, to come back to one on your previous remark, uh, we have statistics, we have correlations, but after that, uh, we need human input to understand if the correlation is a causation or what made uh, this decision important. And so first surprise with this top 10, it's all decisions, uh, no opinion or no interim measures. Yeah. So quite surprising. Also, it's uh, quite diverse, uh, 10 decisions, six different sectors. Uh, the doublons are two in telecom and three regarding fishing or port. That's very surprising. Yep. <laughs> and they're also quite old. They range from 2005 to 2011. But we think it's a bias of the method we use because our method look at the number of quotation. And so the older decision had more time to be quoted. So that's why um, it's no surprise to us that these top 10 are quite old. But um, they're still very relevant because they were all quoted less than two years ago. So all these top 10, uh, they are quoted by case handler very often and quite recently. And after that, like I say, we did a manual analysis to understand why these decisions were cited. So we look for each citation where it was located in each mm -hmm. uh, publication and what was the meaning of this decision. So this is very time consuming. Uh, it was done by Kami and we hope that in the future it could be automated. Yeah. And to to some degree, that could, again, help practicing lawyers and also the companies very much, right? Because you know now that for market definition, well, this one is important. This one you think may be important, but it's not at least in the eyes of the agency, but you are trying to convince the agency, right? So 
very important decision. I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, what surprised you the most? So the fish industry, I think, is one. Yeah, I think it's a coincidence, you know, sometimes. And um, I highlight by sectors, but the reason why uh, they are quoted is not regarding the sectors. For example, uh, one uh, concerning tuna fishing, so it's the 5D27 uh, decision, so from uh, 2005, is used to highlight the fact that there is no need to precisely define relevant markets in cartel cases, for example. Uh, another uh, interesting ex example, uh, it's the decision 7D48 regarding moving houses and relocation, so also very... <laughs> strange sector, you could say, or very specific, and is quoted uh, mostly regarding the fact uh, that it's the criteria for qualifying a disparagement practice, you know, and the, also the standard of proof of a company's participation in a horizontal cartel. And so you have very strange decision regarding very strange sector, but at the end, it's for uh, antitrust principle uh, that this decision, this all decision are quoted. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it, right? Yes. Uh, you may have a client in the tech sector, so the natural tendency is to look at decisions in the tech sector, but the tuna decision will actually tell you that, well, if your client may be engaging in some cartels activities, this one is very important, right? So that's indeed the beauty of it and what appears from here, the data, and not just to the to the human brain, right? Something you've mentioned is that there is a bias to favor old decisions. I mean, old, published within, let's say, the last 10, 15 years. As you mentioned, you started in 2009, because at that time, the French competition agency changed uh, the, the structure and, and the missions. So for the people listening to us, that's the reason why. Uh, I'm curious about the opposite now. So because you can also measure the importance of a decision over time, are there examples of decisions that used to be important, meaning here cited a lot by other decisions, and that are not important anymore? And if so, how do you explain that? Yeah, it's a tricky question because intuitively, uh, like you said, you think that some decision should fall from grace because, for example, there's a revision of the jurisprudence. And so you would expect that these decisions are no longer quoted and we should be able to see that in our data. Well, it's good reasoning, but in practice, uh, there are some pitfalls. Uh, first, it's my own opinion, but I think you would agree, Thibault, I postulate that jurists love to explain the timeline of events. And even if there's a revision of jurisprudence for a long time, they will still quote the decision just to explain why the matter changed. And mm. so you would see the drop, maybe, but after a long time, after that uh, decision become irrelevant. Uh, this is what people would do in a law school. They will teach you something and then say, oh, but by the way, there is a new case law, but it was just for the sake of it. And when teaching to economists, I was surprised to hear from them that eventually they will argue using those past decisions that have been reversed by the court, but they will explain to me that for the sake of their argument, it's most efficient if they use the one that has been overruled by the court, right? This is not how it works, but indeed lawyers have a tendency to, to explain and go back to the, to the beautiful, you know, 
old past. So this might be one, but please go ahead. Yeah, and so I have a very good example to illustrate this. It's the decision 10D39 regarding practices implemented in the vertical road science sector. Hmm. That is quoted because it lists the criteria uh, considered for granting the no contest of objection procedure. But this procedure was replaced in 2015 by the settlement one, mm. but it's still being quoted and it's among our top 10 and it was quoted twice in 2020. Mm. So if we extrapolate from one example, usually don't do this at home, yeah. you could say <laughs> that you need at least six years to notice a, a drop in uh, citations. So yeah. it's very long time. And like you said, our time sample is not very wide in terms of years. We only have a dozen of years. And so it's, I think it's not enough to see this drop from grace. But maybe if we run the same method on all the publication from the authority, but also the Conseil de la Concurrence, so we go back all the way to the 80s, maybe it could work, but for very old, old one. So maybe even jurists at law school won't see them in their <laughs> lessons. Yeah, you know, in, indeed, I remember back in the days where I was practicing, uh, this was kind of a mental break, right? So lawyers will not use the ones published by the Conseil. It felt like something from another era. Uh, and so I'll be surprised that the agency will actually quote lots of those decisions. Once in a while, I, I know there are a few of those citations, but it's quite rare. Um, could you now, so the graph is open, is open source. You indeed identify the most cited decisions, then you analyze them, you explain why they are the most cited. Uh, which other use cases can here, especially practicing lawyers, make out of your network? Uh, and what about the researchers? So maybe two questions in one. Yes, I, I will answer to that question. So um, we, we believe that lawyers and researchers can, can use the complex network graph and the tool, the interactive tool related to it, to, to first to get an overview, a visual overview of French competition cases and identify all key publications. So on the interactive tool, it is possible to filter a publication or a sector of interest and analyze the connected publication even the, the, the hidden connected publication. So this can be very useful to create a, bi a bibliography for research projects. So uh, one can start with a reference or a sector of interest and use the tool to fill up the gap and, and find closely related publication, even if they are not sitting each other. So uh, this is kind of uh, finding the hidden patterns uh, that uh, even if the paper are not sitting each other. So um, let's take a concrete example. So one can start uh, with the uh, the French Competition Authority opinion on data processing in the online advertising sector, which is the 18A03, published in 2018. And they will get all the connected publication. So the prior uh, paper, of course, but also the subsequent paper. So this is interesting to see 
uh, also the impact of a publication. Yeah, some something I just want to make it clear. If you haven't used the the, the network yet, uh, you will see that the bigger the node, the it means that the most cited is the decision, right? Uh, so that's a good way. Indeed, you could go and start from, you know, the very center of the graph and get a sense that, well, this one must be interesting. And how nice would it be to have that for Spain and Italy and the US, right? If you have, especially if you, if you want to engage in a ecosystem of competition law decisions, uh, it would be incredibly nice to get access to that. So I'm sure that researchers and other agencies from all over the world are very grateful for what you've done because if they wish to understand your uh, jurisprudence, then, well, it, it seems to be a very nice entry door indeed. Um, so let me, come, let me come finally to this point. In the very last part of your paper, you highlight several areas that you see where you see a need for research. Um, you explained that you will soon develop a similar graph for merger control. Uh, and indeed, it seems that the, the exact same methodology could be used. Personally, I would love to see a similar graph that will integrate decisions from different agencies, including the European Commission, right? Because indeed, the French may refer back to the European Commission. And some other times, it might be that one agency makes reference or the EC here to, to you guys. Uh, so... Should researchers from the European Commission or academic institutions or elsewhere be interested in doing this, creating such a graph with different agencies, where should they start? Yes. So we, we strongly believe that a, a similar uh, complex network graph can be reproduced in other agencies or by researchers as long as the citation, the quotation inside publications follow a standardized pattern, so a regular expression over the time. So if it's the case, and it's mostly the case, we, we recommend to automatically extract the citation inside its publication and store them in, in what we called in the paper the citation database. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is fully described in, in the paper. And, and after that, one should be able to create the complex uh, network graph similar to us and to connect it to our open source interactive tool which is publicly available on the French uh, competition authority github so finally has the the different european national agency are quoting the european commission publication uh, we believe that this particular complex network graph could be the key to link all the national agency networks mm to have a final European overview of antitrust cases. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to connect them all, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, what about merger control? Are you already involved in that? And do you think you can reuse the exact same methodology or are you already uh, kind of uh, speculating that you will have to change the methodology a little bit? Um it won't change because the, the merger uh, publication, they follow uh, a standardized uh, pattern. So it's possible to extract all the citation and to recreate a, a, what we call the, a citation database for merger mm. and to, do, to reproduce exactly the same, um, the same graph, and, but also to combine both of them, of course. 
Yeah, something that is very nice and that I think the French competition agency did very well is to use a format for calling its own decision that is super convenient, right? It always starts with a year, then the letter will give you the type of decision that is, and then the number, right? Uh, not the case for all the agencies, right? And especially if it changes over time, this may complicate the analysis a little bit. So well done. Uh, I, I have a question that is a bit unusual, uh, but curious if you have anything you want to say. What would be the most important contribution made by your paper that we haven't discussed yet. So something that you really want to convey in this episode of the podcast. Is there anything? Um, like you said earlier, Thibault, um, all our findings and all our data are published on an open data basis. And uh, all is available. There's link, I think, on uh, the paper, but also it can be found on our GitHub. Yep. the authority GitHub. And so I think we will be very, very proud if uh, some researchers, some people take our data and dig into it and find new, more amazing results. And I think there's a lot of materials for that because we only scratch the surface. And uh, like you said also, we'll be very willing to lend a hand. And so uh, that's one point. <laughs> If yep. you want to convey, very yeah, very important because very unusual, right? You are not expecting from competition agency to be willing to cooperate with academic and researchers, and yet you are. And I think you should be praised for that. Uh, Adrien, is there anything I forgot to to ask? Yes, yes, I think that the the methodology could also improve the accuracy of a publication recommendation. So um, the the network could be uh, used to feed a search engine that is way more uh, precise than just based on the name or on the title of the decision, because yeah. we can see some hidden pattern. So for example, decisions that are not sitting each other, but they are exactly in the same sector. So yeah. it can be used to improve. Yeah, as a way to rank the result. Are you saying that you will use that to improve the search engine of the French competition agency? <laughs> Is that on the map? Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a nice idea, and I would see how you could implement that quite easily, right? Quote unquote. Uh, very last question. What would be considered a success for the field of computational antitrust in five years from now? So what are the metrics that we should keep in mind? I would love to hear from both of you, actually, on this one. Very uh, difficult questions. Um, one success could be the number of competition agency network that will be created in these uh, five years. Yeah. For the moment, this number is one. And I hope it won't stay at one <laughs> in five years' time. Uh, another challenge is to uh, automatize um, the uh, adding of new publication to our graph because we mm. did it to uh, uh, the last publication from uh, 2021, but there's a whole year now that has been published. And if we want our tool to be still relevant in uh, the future, we need an update uh, very regularly. And that also will be a challenge, but it could be a success if uh, us or maybe someone else do it uh, reusing the method we highlight in the papers. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, and that triggers lots of questions, right? The automating of antitrust. This is one of the descriptions that we have on the computational antitrust website. Automating part of antitrust analysis, which is not to say that you take the human out of the loop. Indeed, far from that, this is precisely what you show with the paper. Once you have identified those decisions because they are closely related, although they are not citing one another or because they are the most quoted, this is when you need antitrust expertise and it may lead you to do something different than not using the network at all. So uh, also, if if I may share my view on this one, indeed, that's a very complex question, but to find the right balance and to know what it means to automate and what can we and should we automate to free our time as human is, is a good one uh, and something we should think about and, and clarify in the future. Uh, but Adrien, the floor is yours. Yes. So uh, from my point of view, I think a, a real success would be to the collaboration between uh, between agencies and researcher and um, by using, for example, open source code to feed other uh, researcher or agencies and to, to go faster in the development of uh, anti computational antitrust. Maybe, uh, like you said, um, decisions or publication follow a very strict format, very strict pattern. Mm. But one can hope that maybe if you can use very advanced NLP techniques, you could identify own kind of preferences and not only our own publications, but maybe uh, publications from courts. Uh, this one's very tricky because there's no uh, format and yeah. it could also help us and help all the competition and competition agencies very much. Yeah. And this, you know, the beauty of your paper is that the very same technique can be deployed right now, today, in all agencies all over the world. Now, when it comes to the courts, uh, most of the courts in the United States uh, will actually give you access to a PDF or, you know, the Word or maybe sometimes the XML. Uh, some courts in France, for people who are not based in France, I don't know if that is still the case, but at least up until a few years ago, I remember decisions published uh, by the Court of Appeal that will be just, you know, uh, very how can I put that strange looking PDF where you can't even highlight the text, right? With no OCR and all that. So it's, it's, it's funny how the need to use computational tools to better understand the substance will also, you know, create a feedback loop in, in how we need to also publish those decisions. Maybe we could talk about the structuring of those decisions so that they are always the same, which again, the French competition agency did pretty well, right? Over time. Uh, the, the European Commission also does that pretty well. It follows kind of the same structure uh, and it can enable you to automate the analysis a bit further. Yeah, it helps uh, automate, but it also helps humans because you know where to look for of the course. things you're looking. So it helps both kinds of uh, people and machines. Yeah, of course. And, you know, this is the challenge when you enter law school, they give you one decision to comment and it takes you two days and then you realize, oh, but maybe the very last paragraph is actually very important or depending on how the paragraph starts, that means it is important. So uh, something to help the machine, but also us human beings, right? Because we need to process and compute in a way uh, all those decisions. Uh, on that good note, um, that's all for today. Thank you so very much again for a great paper. Uh, the presentation that you did this year or actually last year during our annual conference. 
Uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Uh, and on that, I wish you a good day. Take care of yourself. And if you can, someone else too. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you.